and all of our uh, campuses joining us, Midtown, Daphne, and Thomasville. Great to be with you all today. A couple things before we dive into the final installment of the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. Number one, you heard Pastor Blake talking about it. Look, if you forgot to bring a turkey, a ham, or a pie with you, Jesus still loves you. I want you to know that right out of the gate. But what I am going to ask you to do is before you go on with your day and subsequently your week, listen, Leave this place and go to a store and get a turkey, a ham, or a pie and bring it back. This is how we help organizations like Prodigy Pantry and so many others do what they do over the next month. Uh, they depend on us to get this done, and so I'm asking you to do that. It won't take too much time out of your day, and, and, and we're all probably going to eat way too much this week. There are families in our area that will be dependent on this, and so help us out with that. And then secondly, we had a funeral yesterday for a wonderful lady here at Three Circle, one of the wives of one of our elders here at Three Circle Church. Her name was Jan Dixon. And Miss Jan was an amazing lady, and you can be praying for Greg, one of our elders, and his family. But one thing that came out of that celebration of life service for her yesterday was the fact that she had been for years and years and years an invite card ninja at Three Circle Church, okay? So many people, a flood of messages came to the family and to us saying, I am in church because Jan Dixon gave me an invite card at a restaurant, at a hair salon, at a store. She, everywhere she went, handed out those cards and told people that Jesus loved them and they needed to get to church. So we've got these Christmas cards at all of our campuses, and I want to invite all of us to grab a handful of them and let's be more like Miss Jan, all right? Let's get, you know, we're saying today, bring us a turkey, we'll feed a family. I would also say, hand someone a card, you may change their life, all right? Yes, so let's, let's dive into that together. All right, so today we're going to jump into the final part of this prayer. Remember, we're studying the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's not the Lord's prayer. That's the prayer he gave us to pray. He prayed this prayer. He alone could pray this prayer, and it has taught us so much. And it's so good that I, I hate to even leave it behind. It's been that life-changing for me to just teach it. But today we come to the final part of the prayer. Remember, they had had the, the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples. They're walking in the dark to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in between those two places, he teaches them and then he prays this prayer. And it's called the High Priestly Prayer. And today we're going to look at this last segment, John 17, 24 to 26. Let's read it together. Jesus is praying, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and watch this phrase, and I in them. Now, this is important, and let's dive into it, okay? Uh, first of all, I want you to know that last week we, we saw that right before the end of the prayer, Jesus prayed last week to his Father that we would be unified together as believers. So he prayed for the unity of believers. Not uniformity, but unity. Well, today he's going to pray for this big thing union with Christ. Now, I want you to know that this is not talked about enough in church. It should be, though. This is a massive, major, crucial Christian doctrine that we're going to look at today. And I'm hoping by the end of the day that I'm able to stir your affection and love for Jesus. 
as you look at this reality we're going to look at today, I hope some light bulbs are going to go off for you, and I hope that it'll be life-changing for you in a lot of different ways. That's my hope. That's a high mark to, to hit, and, and I certainly can't. I'm just going to give you the word, okay? And I want you to see some things maybe you've never seen, the union with Christ. But before we get to the union with Christ that he prays for at the end, I want to not miss anything in these verses. The first thing I think we see in that first few lines of this section of the prayer is that he loves us and he's affectionate towards us. Look what he says. He, he says, those whom you've given me, that includes you. That's all Christians for all time. He says, those whom you've given me, Father, watch this, I want them to be with me where I am to see my glory. Do you hear his love for you? Jesus wants you to be with him. As a kid, I used to love visiting my grandparents because when I walked through that door, I knew they wanted me there. I was not a bother to them. They weren't like, oh, here he comes again. No, they wanted me there. There was this affection for me. And you know what? Jesus, I just want you to not miss this. Jesus loves you. And he is looking forward to the day. Like right before his crucifixion, he is praying a prayer. And he's not praying, God, you know, help me through the, all that stuff. He's thinking about us, praying for us. And one thing he says to his father is he says, I can't wait for the day. They are with me in glory and they can see everything I want them to see. That's how much he loves you. He wants you with him. That's good news, man, to know that you are loved like this in Christ. And another thing we learn is, evidently, in heaven, we're going to see the glory of God fully. Which means we must not see it fully right now. And that's something that's clear in Scripture. We can't see fully. It's kind of like when I wake up in the mornings and I get in my Jeep to take my kids to school, I always have to, because we live in the South, and basically a humidity sludge at all times, right? It ends up on your windows. You can do your wipers on the front, but those side windows will get you, and you have to roll them down and roll them back up. And really all that does is smear it a little bit. But at least you can see enough to not get run over when you get out on the highway, right? So what happens is I'm st I can see better, but I still can't see totally clearly, right? What Jesus is telling us here is, hey, there's going to be a day where the windshield is totally clean and we can see clearly, and that's going to be a really great day. When we can see clearly the glory of God, that is going to be a really good day. So in heaven, we'll see the glory of God fully. John, the same man who wrote this gospel, also wrote this letter, 1 John. He said this, Beloved, we are God's children now. I want you to hear this concept of now and future happening in this verse. We're God's children now. So you're not waiting to become a child of God one day. You're already a child of God, but... He says, what we will be has not yet appeared. That means that even though we're children of God now, there's something else coming. He says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Oh, that's when it's going to happen. So there's something that's going to change about us really big one day. And when's that going to happen? When he appears, or we would also assume when we die. That's why death is not a bad thing for Christians. That's why Paul looked forward to it, because he understood this truth. Something changes when either he appears or we die and we're with him. And what happens? We shall see him as he is. And we just can't do that fully now. Oh, we can't impart. And even in part, it's awesome what we get to experience now. We're children of God now. But one day we will see him as he is. How many of you know that you appreciate your parents more as an adult sometimes than you did when you were a kid? Am I right? You become an adult and you're like, oh, man. I didn't realize what you were dealing with. It's when you have your own kids. And then you want to look at your parents and go, sorry. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you were awesome and I didn't realize it. That's kind of what's going to happen. We're children of God now. But one day we're going to see stuff we can never see now. And Jesus wants that for us. He wants us to see that one day. So we experience the reality of Christ now and in the future. I don't want you to think you're waiting on Jesus because you have him now. You just can't experience fully what he has for you. It's kind of like this. Years ago, uh, my wife and I got to go to Costa Rica with Three Circle Church. Because I don't know if you know this, Three Circle Church is trying to with a group of great leaders in Costa Rica that we help train theologically, by the way. We're in partnership with them. We're going to plant 100 gospel-centered churches in 20 years in Costa Rica. How about that? And it's already happening. So we wanted to go down with uh, Rodney and some other Rodney, Rodney uh, heads up our, our work in Costa Rica and Pastor Mike Meganson, and they were like, you got to get down here and see this. So Nan and I got on a plane and went to Costa Rica. And Costa Rica is this incredible place because it's beautiful, and yet there's immense poverty. And there's this desperate need for gospel churches to lead people to Jesus, and we got to experience all that. But the whole time we were there, we were thinking, we want our kids to see this. And experience this because we love them so much. There's affection for them. So we're going, we want them to see it. So we fly back home and we tried to tell them about it. We did the best we could to show them pictures, tell them how awesome Costa Rica is, how great the need is, what our church is doing there. But finally, you know what we had to do so they could see it clearly? Well, you know, we had to put them on a plane. And the next summer we did that and we took them to Costa Rica and my kids got to see it. That's Gabe and Cooper when they're much smaller standing in one of our churches we built, looking at one of our pastors there. That's Gabe standing in front of one of the churches in Costa Rica. Here's Cooper looking at one of the schools in Costa Rica that we're partnering with. Uh, here's my boys at the beach we tried to tell them about that they got to experience for themselves, the beauty of it. And this is a picture of me and my sons with our waiter behind us going, Hello, everybody. Okay, so they got to see it and experience it for themselves. That's, I want you to hear Jesus' love for us. Jesus is saying, I can't wait for the day, Father, when these who are mine get to see what I want them to see. Do you understand that that's what's on the other side of death for the Christian? What hope we have, right? What hope, what joy. So I'm a good news machine today for you guys. It's good news, the gospel, all right? Hold on to it. Grab on to it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right? So now let's dive into the second half of this section of the prayer, where Jesus gets into this idea of him in us. And we call that union with Christ. It is a major theme in the New Testament that we just don't talk about enough, but it's life-changing when we talk about it. So what does it mean? When Jesus, and we've already learned so much about him during this series, we know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's a real man forever, by the way, forever has a human body, forever has a human nature. He forever is fully God, fully man, which means he is somewhere right now. He's, some, he's in a location, and we know it's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is in the presence of God. He is God. We under, we're beginning to understand those things about him. So how can Jesus, being fully man, say that he is in every believer? How can he say that? How can he pray to his Father, God, I want them in me and I to be in them? How can he pray that? Well, Let's dive into that idea. Colossians 1.27 touches on it. Listen to what it says. It says, to them, that them is you and me, Christians. 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory, watch this, of this mystery. And what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the first thing we need to know about this thing we're about to tiptoe into, this deep end of the pool we're about to dive into is this. Union with Christ is mysterious. It's the first thing you need to know. We're not going to walk out of here today going, oh, we got that. That's easy. No, it's going to thin your brain a little bit like this whole series has. And that's not a bad thing. But here's the deal. Like the Trinity, like infinity, there are things that our finite minds can't fully grasp, but God has given us so much we can grasp. And we should learn and know all that God has given us. So he wants you to know a ton about union with Christ. Even though it's such a big concept, it's hard to fully grab onto. We're going to give it a shot today by simply diving into the scriptures and seeing what it means. So, first of all, I thought it'd be helpful if we looked at some wrong views. And great theologian, uh, uh, Eric Middleson, talks about this. And it's just an incredible theologian that's going to help us understand that. I'm just going to dive into it for a moment here, okay? Three wrong views. And by the way, tons of like heresies, which a heresy is like when you believe and teach something that's totally wrong about God. All right, a lot of those came out of these three things about understanding what does it mean to be unified with Christ when Jesus says he is in us. All right, here's wrong views, three of them. Number one, union with Christ is metaphysical. No, it's not. That's a wrong view. That's a bad view. Now, I've heard it taught. I've watched on Christian television. I've heard prosperity teachers teach this one right here. This is what that means. It means that you're becoming a God. Your unity with Jesus means that you will become one with essence in him. And see, what did we say? What did we say? The Father, God, the Son, and the Spirit. What do they share? The essence of the deity, right? They are distinct persons with one essence. They will not share that essence with you. You will forever be created. They are uncreated. God is uncreated. So you need to know that you are not going to become a God. I listened to a prosperity preacher one time, and he said, if you're a Christian, you're a little G. We're all just little Gs. And the church said, amen. And I'm sitting there going, no. Like watching a field goal miss. I'm like, no. I'm, an, I'm a Bama fan. I've had that happen a billion times. That's not right. Well, you're not becoming God, secondly. Union with Christ some would teach is mystical. No, it's not. That's a bad view. Mystical means that you become a robot, that God takes you over, that you now are a puppet and he is the puppeteer and you don't have a personality anymore. You're not you anymore. It's mystical. And that is too strong. That goes beyond what the scripture teaches about union with Christ. I want you to know that. But the third one doesn't go far enough. This third one is too weak. Union with Christ, thirdly, some would say, is just psychological. It's like a teacher with their students. The teachers and the students are connected in ideas. The teacher teaches you something and you go, oh, I get that. Oh, I got a connection with that teacher. Now, many would, have, would teach and have in the past that that's what the Bible means when it says union with Christ, that you get what he's saying. He got this connection like a teacher and a student. That is too weak. That is too weak. So what I want you to understand is mystical and metaphysical both go beyond what Scripture teaches about union with Christ. That last one, psychological, is too weak. So now what I want you to do, I meant to do this, it's on me, in your notes. I just want you to draw a line. I want you to delineate here. I want you to draw a line all the way across your paper before we make this next point. And I want you to know now we're going to look at the biblical views. 
We're going to look at the biblical views. And as I tell you these biblical views of union with Christ, this is where I want to light you up. Okay? Like I want you to just love Jesus more and more. You're going to be so grateful when you learn what union with Christ is. You want me to tell you? Are you guys with me? Are y'all ready for this? I can hear you in Midtown. Kind of slow here in Fairhope. I can hear you in Midtown right now. I hear you, Thomasville. Let me hear you, Fairhope. Are you ready? All right. Here's what the Bible teaches about union with Christ. Number one, such good news. When Jesus says before his Father, in them, in them, in me, what does he mean? He means judicial. Union with Christ first is judicial. What does this mean? It means that forever and ever and ever before the holy judge God, you will not stand alone. You are now in Christ. You get his record. You get his purity. You get his righteousness. You get his sinlessness. That's how you're going to stand before God. You do not stand before God on your own record, on your own merit. You are judiciously now in Christ. That's what it means. Now, let me, let me, let me point out some language. We don't want to miss anything about this. Notice what Jesus says uniquely when he gets on this subject to his father. Look back at it. I want us all to have a little exercise here. Look in your handout or in your Bibles. What does he call his father right before he says these things about him being in us? He says, my what father? What does he call him? My. Anybody see it? Just shout it at me if you see it. Righteous. There it is. He hadn't said that at another point in the prayer, but here he says, my righteous father. What does righteous mean? It's judge. He's the righteous judge. Anytime in the Bible that's connected, it's judge. He's saying, you make all things right. You are right. And he says, you're the judge and you're going to judge all of humanity. And it's here that he says, my righteous father, when, when they, these you've given me, when these that I love, that I want to be with me, when they one day stand before you, may they be in me and I in them. I don't want them standing alone. I want them to get re- the record. I want them to get the credit for this life I've lived before you. I am in them. You see that? Yes, amen to good theology, right? This stuff is good and the light bulbs go off and you go, oh, that's what it means to be in Christ. It's not metaphysical. I'm not becoming God. It's not just psychological. I don't just agree with Jesus on a few things. No, no. He has given me his record. He stands in my place in Christ. This is why 1 Corinthians says, For as in Adam all die. You do know that if you're not in Jesus, you are in Adam. Do you know that? Yeah, all people are. You're born in Adam. You're born carrying the curse from Eden. You're born being represented by something else. Christians, though, switch teams. (laughs) That's really good news. You're not in Adam anymore. Christians are now in, come on, help me out, in Christ. You're in Christ. So he says, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, Adam brings death. Jesus brings life. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God made Jesus. He made him. To be sin, who knew no sin, so that, look at the phrase. You may want to get your pen out and just underline all these phrases in the Bible. In him, there it is. There's union with Christ. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And now you go, how in the world can we be the righteousness of God? Because will any of us in this room raise our hand right now and say, yeah, I'm righteous. I get it right all the time. Anybody? Some of y'all think you're right all the time. But you're not. I've seen your Facebook post. You're not right all the time. None of us can raise our hand and go, yes, I'm right all the time. But Jesus says that in him, we become the righteousness of God. We become that pure. 
Why? Because we're in Jesus. It is, see, it is awesome, the riches of the gospel. You can spend a lifetime swimming in the deep end of the gospel pool and not see all of it. This is a coral reef that just keeps popping out new things for you to look at. It's good stuff. This is what it means to be unified with Christ. Secondly, union with Christ is spiritual. It's not metaphysical. You're not becoming God. It is spiritual. How can Jesus say, since he is a man, he's fully man, fully God, how can he say that he can be in all believers? Well, because Jesus and the Father and the Spirit share the same essence. Now, I want you to watch this. This is why at the Last Supper, Jesus looks at Philip and he says, Philip, when you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. How can he say that? Because he and the Father share the same essence of deity. And in the same way, Paul and the writers of the New Testament will write to us and say, if the Holy Spirit is in you, Jesus is in you. Why? Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit share the same essence of deity. This is why the verse I'm about to read to you, literally Paul jumps back and forth between the Spirit and Christ. He's not saying they're not distinct. He's saying that they share the same essence, meaning that Jesus is the human and God at the same time. He sits at the right hand of the Father, but because his spirit is in you, he is in you. And because he is in you, the Father is in you. Why? Because they share the same essence. We get them. It's unbelievable, right? The truth of the gospel. So let's read this beautiful verse in Romans. Paul's writing. I want you to watch him interchange. He says, you, that's us Christians, however, are not in the flesh. Watch that. See, we used to be in the flesh. You're not in the flesh. Everyone say it, but you're what now? In the Spirit. And we were just talking about in Christ. Watch this. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Watch this. Now he interchanges. He was just saying the Spirit in you. Now he says, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit, oh, back on the Spirit, is life because of righteousness. Do you see Paul saying if Jesus is in you, the Spirit is in you. If the Spirit is in you, then Jesus is in you because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share the same essence. If your brain's hurting a little bit, worship time, right? I said that over and over again. But, but God revealed this stuff to us. We can know this stuff. And it blesses us to know these things. It brings us joy. So union with Christ is judicial and it is spiritual. And finally, we learn that union with Christ is vital. It's vital. Again, Millard Erickson and others. Grudem, just some theological names. Guys that have been, just spent a lot of time talking about this stuff. Helps us understand the vitality. Erickson in, in particular, a theologian, for those of you that run in those circles, really does a good job with this. And it's interesting that Jesus prayed this prayer on that same walk between the supper and the garden. He also taught the disciples this famous thing. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, when we understand how that works, we understand that a vine pulls nutrients up and out to the branches. That's why when Jesus says he is in us, he's saying it's vital. Vital means it brings life. Vital means it brings power. 
We get the nutrients of the Christian life because we're branches. And if we don't attach to the vine, we're just dead. That's why we're dead branches without Jesus. But Jesus attaches us. The Bible literally says fuses us into the tree, the vine. And when that happens, he begins to nourish the branch that suddenly comes to life. And then on the end of the branch comes the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because we are in Christ. Are you following this? So union with Christ is vital. It gives you power. And and that's where the Christian life comes from. That's why when we say you're not living the Christian life on your own, of course not. You're getting your nourishment from the vine. Jesus in us. And we see this in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So how many of you know I'm I'm in my 40s now? And I look in the mirror. Well, I don't have to look in the mirror. My little girl lets me know, hey, Dad, salt and pepper's becoming saltier by the day. That's what she likes to say. And I tell her, don't you ever talk to me like that again. You get out. No, I don't say that. Because she speaks the truth. Uh, you can see it, right? You kind of see that your body, you know, get a little more tired than I used to as you grow older. And all those things happen. All the things my granddad used to tell me, this is what's going to happen to you one day, young man. And I didn't believe him. Now I'm like, you know, you had a point there. Our outer, our outer bodies face the natural physical decay of this life. But Paul says, let me tell you something good news. Good news for you. Paul says, something came alive in you in Christ that nothing can put out. There's a fire burning that keeps burning hotter. And even as your outside body dies, this thing is just getting hotter and hotter inside of you. And that is that vital life of Christ inside of a believer that suffering can't take away, death can't even take away, Right? That's why the Bible says in Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen, church, when you, if you're a Christian, when you wake up in the morning, the battery pack of your Christian life is sitting on full every morning. Every day, new mercy. Every day, grace to face that day. And, and guess what? And forever it will be. It's vital. It, it brings you energy in life. It's why Jesus said we don't have to worry as Christians and should not worry. In Matthew 6, he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what that means is sufficient for the day. What he's saying is you have what you need for today. He says as a Christian, sufficient for the day. He's saying this day is going to have lots of things that are going to be hard. And he's saying if you're a Christian, you're a branch attached to a vine that will give you exactly what you need to face that day. And you will have what you need to face whatever's coming at you tomorrow if you're a believer. He's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. Church, that's good news. That's joy-giving, life-giving good news. Now, after learning what the Bible says about it, here's what I want you to know today. This is foundational. Union with Christ. We should be talking about it a lot because it's the foundation of the Christian life. It is the point at which everything else jumps off of. Let me tell you what I mean. When, when my wife and I started dating, it was 1998, she tells me, she says, uh, hey, my family's building this cabin where they've built this cabin in Pigeon Forge, the Smoky Mountains, and they're saying I can invite you on the next trip. And it was really so they'd get a look at me. You know what I mean? It's like this was an uh, audition, you know. And so I'm like, oh, awesome. I've never been to the Smoky. So I go to the Smoky Mountains, and we get up there, and it's just amazing. What I find out is when we, if we can just get to the cabin... There's a million adventures awaiting 
once you get to the cabin. So we went hiking and we went fly fishing and we went rafting and we went swimming in these creeks and we went to cool restaurants and we did all of these things. And then subsequently we got married and, and we would go with friends and then we would take our kids. And we used to say to our kids, we'd say, hey, we just need to get to the cabin. Now, let me just tell you, that is not the cabin they built. <laughs> that would be awesome. And that's not the cabin they built. But this one's a little more like it, this next one. Uh, bring, yeah, yeah, it's a little one, no. It's kind of in between those two. But here's what we'd say. We'd say, if we can just get to the cabin, we don't even know the plan. We used to tell our kids, like, what are we going to do, Daddy, when we get there? I'd say, I don't, I don't even know. We just need to get to the cabin. We get to the cabin, it doesn't move. It's always in the same spot, and then we'll go do a million fun things. But we always come out of the cabin. It's the fixed point. Now, with that in mind, I want to help you understand union with Christ compared to this other thing that you don't need to confuse them with. And here's where I hope a light bulb will go off. We must not confuse union with communion. There's union and then there's communion. And I want you to understand the difference because it can help you in your Christian life. The first thing you need to know, like that cabin, union is fixed, but communion fluctuates. Let me tell you something. Every trip we ever took always looked different. The things we did they were different. But the cabin never changed. We never went hiking and came back and the cabin moved. Like, where'd the cabin go? It's always moving around. No, no, we had a fixed point. In your Christian life, your communion with God will fluctuate because you're a human. You'll have days you feel close to God and days you won't. You'll feel like he's a million miles away. God has not moved. You have. The problem is when we confuse the two, and as Christians, when we don't feel communion with him, we begin to think, oh my goodness, my relationship with God, don't you ever think that again. Your communion will go up and down, but that cabin's not moving, my friend. Your union with Christ is fixed, and it's not going away. That's good news, right? But your communion does. Your communion is impacted by a lot of things. In fact, union, we would say, is the source, but communion is the result. Union with Christ is the source of all the adventures I just talked about. You overcoming, you having victory, you understanding, you being a good husband, a good wife, you being a great dad, you being a great mom, you overcoming sin in your life. All those things come from that fixed point that you're unified with Christ forever. And here's, here's the thing I want you to understand today. Union is irrevocable, but communion is conditional. You're always in Christ. But it depends on you in some ways, not for your union. He takes care of that. He never lets go of your hand. But your experiencing of him, your joy in him, your feeling him, your closeness with him, your warmth with him. Now, you've got a part to play in that. If you don't read your Bible for three months, you're going to feel a million miles away from God. If you don't make him a priority in life, you're not going to feel communion with him. But he wants you to. Do you hear his effect? I want them with me. How can we be with him when he's there? By communing with him. And the only way you can commune with him is if you got that starting point of union. But all Christians who have union with Christ have the accessibility of communion with him at any time we want it. I have had those dry moments in my Christian life where I felt a million miles away and then I realized I'm not in the word. I'm not worshiping the way I should. I've walked out on my back porch with my Bible, with a devotional, and within 10 minutes, I can feel the, the vital presence of God flooding my life. He didn't move. 
I did. And he's always, it's always accessible to you. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Always there. And if you're here today and you feel a million miles away, but you know you're a Christian, then access that communion with him. But the two are two different things. Charles Spurgeon said there's no joy in this world like union with Christ. So that's fixed. But look at the second part. The second part he's describing is communion. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. What does feeling my union with Christ mean? It means communion. I feel union with communion. Does that make sense, church? In fact, in just a moment, we're going to do the Lord, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And you know what that is? It is us symbolically saying we are in union with Him and we desire communion with Him. And we symbolize it with this. I'll close with one more verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is what? Come on, say it with me, church. In Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus, thank you for your word today. I pray even now as we take part in this beautiful element of our faith that you would be glorified in it and by it and that we would commune with you, the one who has forever unified us with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.